Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com, that's K-O hyphen F-I.com forward slash alone, or you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Hi, this is Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I'm here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and we are back from our little break, <laughs> which you guys, you know, did not notice, hopefully, with, you know, the all of the episodes still coming out as, as scheduled. But this is going to be our second part of the AMA. Before we do get into everything, uh, we do feel like we kind of owe you guys a what, what we've been doing <laughs> Uh, I know a lot of people have been asking in the forums and through messaging on social media, you know, like, hey, I haven't heard, you know, how, how is everything? Are you guys okay? Um, as I had previously mentioned, I had surgery and it was, um, <laughs> it, it was <laughs> fairly, <Big>. yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're interested, I have the images of the um, fibroid tumors removed from my uh, uterus on my Instagram. <laughs> that is R-G-A-L-A-R-D-O. And uh, yeah, you can enjoy looking at the monstrosity inside of me. Monstrosities, because it was one large one and it's and it's many little fibroid babies. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, in addition to that, right after the surgery, which was the 7th, uh, fought to get home, got home on the 9th which was faster than I think that they were intending. You know, I think they had thought I'd stay until Friday or, you know, at the furthest out Monday. But I got home on Thursday. And roughly one week later, my husband was had come down with something. And I got it. And it was a lot of coughing and sneezing right after abdominal surgery. So, <laughs> yay. Yeah. <That> was, <laughs> Um, a lot of my friends, though, you know, you guys have, have made this uh, a lot easier to handle. The podcast listeners have made this a lot easier to handle. Um, I've just been very, very lucky with mom's support and Tony's support and the podcast listener support and everything that um, this this was not a really bad, bad time for me. <laughs> you know, yes. it's... It's nice to have it done with. It's nice to have it in the rearview mirror. And it was a quality of life issue. Whether or not I can have kids in the future is still something to be seen. But it was definitely a quality of life issue that yeah. needed to be addressed. Because this thing was massive. Yeah. Finally, though. And I'm telling you guys out there. Listen, if you have the ability. If you are going to see doctors and they're telling you that it's nothing. That and this is specifically... In my experience, so this is specifically speaking to female the the women out there with female issues. If they are not listening to you, get a different opinion. Get a second opinion. Don't, you know, don't wait. Save up the money to go see a better doctor. Do it because if 
How many years were, were, were doctors telling you it was nothing? Since I was 19 and I'm 37. Yeah. So I finally, at 36, found a doctor who would listen to me. Um, it, it's, it was not nothing. And <laughs> no, it sure wasn't. And if you, you know, I don't know how many 14 point, 14.1 centimeters or something like that for the largest, uh, you can just go see the, the pictures on Instagram, but it's, it is one of the most frustrating things to go through as a female to have other doctors, men and women, especially men, because it just, you're not, you're not somebody who has gone through this, so you can't understand what I'm telling you. But then the women, that's that's frustrating too because <laughs> it's like they're blowing you off. And I don't know if it's they think that you're pain-seeking. I don't know if they think that you're pill-seeking. I don't know if they think that you're just, um, you know, really, really not able to tolerate pain or whatever it is. But <laughs> I've had... Intense pain since I was 14 years old. I finally got to see a gynecologist at 19, and I've heard the same story ever since until I got to see a GP here, Dr. Vera. She's wonderful. Dr. McFarland did my surgery. If anybody is local, give them some props because finally somebody listened. Yeah, so, and I got back to writing this week, so yay. <laughs> <laughs> finally, the uh, 27th, so 20 days after my surgery, I'm back to writing. Yes. Um, and I'm glad you're back. I am very, very glad you're back, and I'm glad you're feeling better. And uh, Me too. <laughs> I've missed doing this. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've had my own little thing going on. Um, I've had some a, a little depression, which I have had before multiple times in my life. Um, I, I think a lot of people right now are dealing with some version of depression. But I woke up this morning, um, and the elephant was off my chest. And um, I am feeling actually significantly better for the first time in a while. Um, I have, in spite of, of having been down, been managing to get work done on the novel. And this was yeah, the one. Explain what happened. Yes, this was the one where I sent out, I had it done. Um, th I this made, is the Ohio novel, the very first one right. that she, yeah. Right, and this is, a, this is a complex novel because it has to be not only the first novel in a, an extended series, but it also has to stand alone because I am doing what Lawrence Block did, not with, Lawrence, with um, I'm doing what he did with the Bernie Rodenbar series, which is generally, which is basically unaging characters, um, or not aging rapidly, and um, a a basically lightly unchanging world, and uh, so and then each novel has to be complete in itself. But it is a series that, when read in order, has things that will jump from series to series to series to series. You just don't have to read you mean the series, book to book to book to book. Right. Well, I, there are yeah, book to book to book and series to series to series. Okay, because you said it's a series. Yeah, it is. Well, in multiple series. Yeah, it is a series <laughs> of series okay. with individual books that all need to stay, basically stand alone. Um, mm. So the first one you have to get right. Yeah. Yes, this is playing on hard mode. Becky's shaking her head, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think it's funny that both of us for, are doing 
probably the hardest work that we ha have each individually relatively done. Right. Because my work is not as hard as, say, Talon was for you. But mm -hmm. it's, you know, for me, this is the most difficult book that I've ever written. And the same thing for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just... Well, for me, more because of a save issue where I send out um, the copies to my, my three people who are going to pre-read for me and just do technical issues, bug hunt, uh, not bug hunting, but but looking for anything as a technical reader in their areas of expertise that I missed. And uh, I got back their comments, and I didn't understand some of them, so I went and looked at the manuscript that I had uh, sent them, and it was the wrong version. Not only was it the wrong version, but the right version no longer existed. Mm -hmm. So I have been rewriting the, the and and going through and improving some areas that I think I didn't even do quite so well the in the previous version that got eaten. Yeah, well, um, you've had a lot of of space in between. I have had space. I have had a lot of elbow room, and I yeah. have been spending a lot of hours every day working on the revision. And I'm going slowly. I'm taking my time. Um, I'm walking in circles around the living room and pacing and thinking out plot points and talking to myself and doing all of the weird shit that I do when I'm trying to work my way through possibilities and find the one that's best to take the next the book into the next book. And it's, it's a weird process. It's a fun process. And it is getting me a book that, that this time I love even more than the previous finished version. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was not, it was frustrating, it was aggravating, but uh, in the long run, I think it's been worthwhile. So that's been my month? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Um, I think, too, we didn't mention this, um, but this part of this was because we weren't recording at the time, because it has actually been longer than before my surgery since we recorded but yeah. you finally finished the map for Fulton Hills. Yes, I did. Yeah, for yeah. for my birthday present which I thought was, you know, well that and that we, we mentioned okay, so this is how old the um the previous AMA is. I don't know if you listened to it, but we were talking about what we were doing um just in our spare time because the, one of the questions was um what you do to let your brain turn off. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you had started playing Animal Crossing. Yes. Yes. Started. Started, yes. And um, <laughs> then I completely quit it because I got kind of bored. And then Becky got it. And yeah, Mom Becky, got it for me for my birthday. Yeah, and then Becky tipped me off to a bunch of different things you could do in the game that I had not found or explored or bothered to, to, to investigate. <laughs> And so now I, I am only playing, you know, very, very sparingly because I just don't mm. have the time. Yeah. But um, I ha am back to playing Animal Crossing again. And yes. I have some very nice presents for you sitting out on my front sidewalk. Oh, God, I've only got like two presents for you. <laughs> <laughs> I anyway. have been, yeah, I got kind of that. I had um, books and I had a few other things to do during the recovery process. And instead... Since getting it on the 19th, other than doing my work, that is all that I was doing for the longest time. <laughs> I was fighting depression. I was fighting anxiety. And then and as pain. I was recovering, pain, yes. So I put almost 500 hours in <laughs> a little over a month. Now, some of that was, like I told Holly when I was in the hospital, I I would 
play and I would fall asleep because of the morphine and I would wake up again and I'd be running into like a wall or <laughs> running up against the beach because at that point you couldn't, you know, swim. Couldn't go into the ocean. Again. Yeah. Yes. Um, Fortunately, when you go into the ocean, you can't drown. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or, well, that was the other thing too, because I was, um, actually I think you could swim because I remember... I was in the middle of the ocean when I fell asleep one time and woke up. <laughs> but you have to push A to swim, so that's why I was running up against the water and not swimming. But yeah, mm. I. So there's been a lot of, of um, falling asleep with Animal Crossing, but a lot of that really is, you know, just. And I just thought that it was funny because of how much changed in such a short period of time. Yeah. <laughs> Gone from me not even knowing what Animal Crossing was to. Almost 500 hours worth. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. All um, right. So, yeah. that was that well, was our month plus. <laughs> yeah, month plus. As we catch and you back up. We are, yeah, I, I felt like we kind of owed it to you guys, too, because it has been a while. Yeah. So, we're going to go through some of the AMA questions that have gotten eaten. Um, this was the... One that was roughly a two-hour episode that was going to be our a, a very first AMA uh, post at uh, episode 100, mm-hmm. um, and it it got eaten, and then I kind of died a little inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that um, did not help. That did not help, but, mm-mm. you know, now I'm revved up, and we've had a little break, and uh, so let's do this. Yes. So let me see. Let's find the first question. All right, this one is for you, Holly, and this one is um, more of a kind of, um, I guess, writer question. Um, okay. This one is, Holly, First, this is, I'm just going to paraphrase the question, but they're basically asking how could they figure out which of your classes fit them best if they were only going to pick one one of the bigger ones and I think that that is a valid question we get that a lot a lot of people who don't really know if they should do something like how to write a novel or how to think sideways um so I even though this is an ask me anything and that's more of a kind of technical question I still wanted to put it in okay um all right so I have if this is specifically for big classes only okay let me just quickly say if you've never taken anything by me, the first thing you do is you take the free class because the free yeah. class, um, which is how to write flash fiction that doesn't suck, will um, let you see how I work because I don't work like everybody else. And there are people for whom my classes work and for whom they don't. So before you spend any money on anything I offer, take the free class and make sure that the way my brain works can work with you. Um, it can work with a lot of people, oh, yeah. but there are just some people that it won't gel with. So taking right. the, the the very free, very helpful three-week class, it's it's not, you know, junk. It's it's a really good class. It is, it and if you do it, you'll have yeah. 10 to 11 stories done by the time you're finished the three weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it's, but, but it's, again, that's something that can teach you about Holly's teaching methods and see how well you gel. Yeah. Along with story structure and pacing and plotting and characterization and uh, just a whole slew of of necessary skills. That's that's the quick dunk in the shallow end. If if you are ready for the deep end, 
then I have um, how to write a novel, how to revise a novel, uh, how to write a series, and how to think sideways. And I have given those in what I think, it, it depends on the person. If you are looking for an overview of writing fiction, of, of everything from, it's kind of a kitchen sink course, of everything from how the hell do I come up with an idea that will sustain a novel, all the way through to, well, how do I work with a publisher, or how do I publish myself, or, um, you know, how do I structure do a story? I how do I get really funky, weird ideas? How do yes. I, how do I do these things that other authors do? How do I pull something just out of the nether and just surprise the shit out of my readers? Yeah. Right. Um, how do I pace a book? How do I plot? How do I just a bunch of basic, uh, and some not so basic mm -hmm. writing skills that, um, all fiction writers need, then that is how to think sideways. If you have already been writing, and you know that you want to write a novel. Um, you haven't been writing them, or you have been writing them, but you're really not happy with them. Then you're looking at how to write a novel, which will walk you pace by pace through. And I, I did a demo on this where I wrote the first draft of a novel in one hour per week and finished it at the end of the, I think, 30-week class. And yeah. I have this on video. So yeah. you can yeah, watch it being done. Cast, yep, you get, yeah. you get the videos. You get the video. You can actually read the first draft of the novel that I'm writing. Um, and you can write along with me if the sound of a timer going off doesn't make you crazy. Um, if it does, you can do it without the sound of the clicky typewriter or the clicky keyboard, which I have, and the timer. Um, and, you know, just use that as sort of your pacing for getting getting words done. But it also is step by step how to do it. Every single thing you do. Yeah, if, and there's some really neat stuff in there too. The artifact and and just just different ways of thinking about things. And it also yeah. doesn't. It it's good for for pantsers who want to plot a little, or mm -hmm. plotters who don't want to be so stringent with themselves. Yeah. It's, yeah. So yeah. It's it is designed for writer pantsers, plotsers, and everybody in between. Plotsers. That's how plotters. I wrote pl plotsers. <laughs> That's uh that's how I wrote um the very first of the Fulton Hills novels now too the one that cool. I'm almost finished revising very cool okay so then after that once you have a novel written and not before um then you look at how to revise your novel because here is the big deal about novel revision don't touch the damn manuscript after you write the words until the whole thing is done don't go back and fix sentences don't go back and correct spelling don't go back and have a better idea just go forward and this is very hard to do and it's a skill you have to learn but the way that you can kill a book and not ever finish it is by keeping by going back and rewriting the first sentence because you thought of a better first sentence. Yeah, or, notice she said don't go back and have a better idea. That doesn't mean you can't have a better idea and move forward as if the idea had already been implemented. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you can also, while you are writing that day, words that are fresh are fair game. If you have a better idea while you're sitting there writing about the stuff you just wrote, well, sure, go back and fix that. But yeah. once it's cold on the page leave it alone and just keep going forward and that's all covered in in yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the how to revise your novel is the hardest course she has ever done and i think a lot of people 
underestimate underestimate it when people tell them that or when mm -hmm. I say that or because you know I, I'm, I'm sure there are people that have walked in there and, and thought oh no this is too much this isn't what I was looking for and, oh, and yeah. left because oh, yeah. it is because, just too hard yeah well because people want something fast and easy yeah, and the most difficult pill. thing yeah the most difficult thing I ever had to learn was how to revise a novel and it took me seven damn years to do it of writing and rewriting and replotting and reconsidering the way that I was going through and trying different methods and trying to understand what the problems were and learning how to find them and it was it was a long slog and I was writing short fiction at the same time that I was revising and re-revising this novel and at the end of seven years I sent it off I had sent it off to everybody, and everybody had rejected it. And I sent it off to this one guy who published books for airports. And he said if I could cut it in half, he'd pay me 500 bucks for it. One-time payment, that was it, no royalties, no nothing. And I said, okay, well, no, that's not going to be the first novel that I send out. But <laughs> I know, at least, that I have now done something that someone will pay me for. And yeah. the next something that somebody paid me for was those two poems. And the next something that somebody paid me for after that was Fire in the Mist. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. yeah and that was that won your, the your award for winner. Best first yeah. Novel. yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah. So then the how to write a series, that's, that's sort of like a weirder place to be in as mm -hmm. far as like what, where you'd have to be mentally to get that one. But if that is all you want to write is series a fiction. series yeah series yeah. fiction now it will work for short stories for short f fiction um if you want to write short f fiction series um it will work for long fiction but it is based on um understanding what a kind what a series is and then figuring how to develop it without screwing it up and boy is it easy to screw up a series man Oh, you can, if, if, and, and boy, is it easy to have it screwed up for you. If you had been planning on writing in this world forever and the publisher kills the series after three books, leaving it hanging in the third book with no conclusion, which happened to me time and then time after. It did not happen to me with Diplomacy of Wolves. That one I had, uh, and, and courage you had enough and, notice in order to to try yeah. to wrap it up but it wasn't how you wanted it done it wasn't no but the, nobody else gave me enough notice and damn <laughs> so um yeah serious fiction if serious fiction is much better considered if you're planning on publishing yourself quite frankly um because the odds of you being able to continue a series as long as you want to if you are working with a commercial publisher are pretty slim Okay, yeah. so anyway, that's the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just you, you kind of have to look at where you are as a writer and what skills you most want to learn or think would be beneficial to you at yeah, the time. Yeah, it's where you are in your writing right now. And a different writer, different writers will start with any of, any of those. Yeah. Um, so I got a question for just me, and I don't know how to answer it. Um, okay. <clears throat> What is it like to have a mid-list author indie mom? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it's like to have a mom that isn't one, <laughs> I guess is the way to put it. Because, I mean, I remember you um, having to go to work as a nurse. 
mm-hmm. and leaving at these really weird hours and not seeing you so much. But the most part, the, the most of what I remember is that you're always at, at home. Um, you know, like whether we were leaving for school or coming home, she was always there. It's, it, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, I jumped off the plane without a parachute. Um, this was my when question. You were, Excuse yeah, me. I know. Not okay. yours. Sorry. So shuddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of, um, of worrying about stuff that she did. Um, but for the most part, I mean, she was always there. We had to learn to, uh, be more respectful of her, of her writing time, which Matt helped with. Because, I mean, once Matt kind of came in and put his foot down, it was like, okay, well, fine. Yeah, yeah, we we gotta. And I think we were pretty good about that. I mean, I know sometimes we would have fights and arguments and stuff, but that's just kids. Um, it was also very encouraging um, because anything that we wanted to do, she was always 100% behind and trying to figure out okay well because this is how mom's brain works it's like okay well this is what you want to do so how do how do we do that how do we get to do that and so as long as it didn't involve her doing anything (laughs) it was fine like I wanted to be an actor and they they were like uh yeah sure we'll take you to classes nope that didn't happen that never happened (laughs) we couldn't afford it so no I mean I found free free community classes and stuff and you guys just didn't want to drive me it was like the dog when you guys got the dog it was like just too much work it was like no no i'm too too lazy of a person physically to to do to do this (laughs) i didn't realize how much work this part was gonna be (laughs) but um but it was always a lot of encouraging if there was anything that she could do she did we always had you know we might have had limited internet time because I think that's a smart thing <laughs> that we don't have anymore <laughs> as a as a society basically but um it, we we never had limitations when it came to <clears throat> writing time or um it, it, we always had like the the weekly um writers groups whenever we it wasn't weekly but it was we tried to keep it going mm-hmm. and there was just this massive awesomeness. It's, it's hard to describe. If I was writing, it would be easier because I'm a writer, not a talker. But there was just this this very homey feel when it came to cr- creative juices. It was like this: the house was always a a a field of creativity. You know, mom's maps would be out. Mom's research would be out. Um, Mom's notes would be out and tons of gel pens and office supplies. And, you know, you could go upstairs and you could see because the most, the the longest period of time where we lived in one house was in South Florida. And her office was in an open area upstairs until I moved out. And then they, they... I was out maybe two days and they showed up at my house with a U-Haul truck with all of my shit in it and said, here's all your shit. 
your mother has your has your old room now so there was no going back there was i was definitely moved out with this new guy and it was that was done but um she kind of needed the office space i think but you could always go upstairs and see all of this really cool stuff that mom had laid out and you could ask her anything anything like about her book what was she working on how was she doing this she was the most supportive and uh, creatively, um, like, encouraging that a person could be. I think, I don't think that there's ever been anybody else who was both, you can do anything you want, but you have to actually do it. You have to actually work to, to get this stuff done that I've ever met in my life. As far as what was it like with other people, uh, 80% of them thought you were lying. That's <laughs> not your mom. Your mom didn't write that. Why are you lying about? That's not your mom's book. Uh, then you got the 10% or 10% who just didn't care. It's like, oh, okay, that's nice because they didn't read. The 9% sycophants, like my English teacher, who's like, <laughs> uh, kissing my ass because you were a published writer and then when I wrote a story with a twist ending that she didn't like told me she was very disappointed in me because my mother was a writer and shouldn't I know better shouldn't I know how to write better than this and how, what would my mother think of what I've written and yeah was that one of the ones that we critted during a, our, our writers meetings what, what am I? No. Yeah. No, this was, I was still in school, and we didn't have the writer's meetings as often. Those were okay. during summer and stuff. This was just a story that I, I loved twist endings. I loved yeah. the, the darker, grimmer, sad, kind of out-of-nowhere twist endings that ended up killing people at the end, or, you know, the stuff that mom hates, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but oh. it was... It was a rough draft. I wrote it in class, you know, mm -hmm. and we all wrote stuff. And and she, because my mother was a published author, she decided that this work isn't good enough. Um, and then I, I think that this was one of the teachers that you or Matt, probably you, ended up speaking with. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, the next month I won the award in the class for... for <laughs> some bullshit award that that she had given out like yeah she was just the most awful teacher it was my eighth grade english teacher yeah just <laughs> yeah it was your eighth grade band teacher that i liked i do think i remember talking to no. her though no seventh grade band teacher that was here in georgia that was okay. mr drew and that was yeah. a guy and you sent a letter in I don't think he ever ended up talking to Mr. Drew, but I he was. I talked to him once. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was great. Yeah. No, my was. eighth grade. Anyway. Yeah, eighth grade uh, English teacher was just atrocious. Like, guys, if you are teachers out there and you have a kid whose parent is a published author, treat him like any other kid. Yeah, because uh, you know they they aren't published authors. <laughs> 
No. They're kids. They, they might not even want to be writers. And even yeah. if they do, maybe at that point, especially eighth grade, maybe they're trying to branch out and be different than their parent. Don't yeah. compare them to their published author parent. Don't yeah. make a big deal about the fact that their parent is a published author, especially if they want that. If they want the attention. Oh, God. Yeah, definitely don't off. encourage that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had the one teacher who, who told me that uh, that she, she didn't approve of the title of your book and I wasn't allowed to bring it in and, and it was a sin, the sympathy was it, for the devil. It, which was <laughs> actually a very, very pro-religion, pro-Christian book. Yeah, I guess. it. Did, but, you know, sympathy for the devil and it had a picture of a devil on a computer. So, you know, oh, no, no, Mrs. Yeah. Hartman. <laughs> There ain't no way that woman's still alive. She had to be like 103 years when she was my teacher. <laughs> I think she was probably a very nice, very dedicated teacher, but she was just very anti that book. But having a midless <laughs> author as an indie mom, I, I think I've answered pretty much all I can think of. She was always there to help us with anything interesting, anything creative. Um, she was also very... Uh, hands off when it came to uh, the homeschooling, my homeschooling. Um, I know Mark probably could have benefited from um, more structure, but at the same time, he needed that time off. He did. That time, yeah, he by needed himself. Time just to, yeah, he needed time just to recover from what had happened to him with his dad. So. Yeah. With his father. Yeah, and I don't know if, if he still thinks he needed more structure at the time, but I think really Matt was, Matt was really helpful in, in mm -hmm. different areas for him. But for me, it was just, I was getting my work done. I was, uh, again, just more proof that I'm a workaholic and that I follow <laughs> structure pretty well and, and can be self-disciplined. But she trusted her kids to, to do what they needed to get done, too, which was nice. So I think that's probably it. If I didn't answer a particular part of that question, if you still wanted to know what certain aspects were like, just let me know and I will answer that in more detail, I guess. <laughs> so let's find another one. Oh no, Thea left. No more purring. Um, both. What kind of eurekas have you gotten during your latest revision process? I like that. Oh, that's a good question. Okay, I had a great one with the current novel yesterday, as a matter of fact, um, where I have, I am, this is the Ohio novel, this is the first Ohio novel, and in the first couple, of the first version and the couple of revisions, I had a an antagonist, but not a, a villain, who was tightly tied in to my main character's uh, grandma grandmother, who was tightly tied to her, and who was just kind of a jerk and a little creepy. And um, he was, in my mind, as I was writing him, unreliable and potentially untrustworthy. And then... I realized that that didn't work with the setup of the whole novel and that he needed to be different. He needed to be somebody trustworthy. He needed to be somebody that even though you don't like him initially, um, you start to feel for him over time and then you discover some really good things about him. And yesterday I figured out how to do that. And part of it was Matt buying a percolator. 
um, this absolutely gorgeous 1970s. Um, it's called Cornflower Pattern Corningware per- just Stovetop Percolator. It's a primitive thing. You stick it on the burner and it perks the coffee. And it makes the best damn coffee. It's also supposedly they smell really, really oh, good too. Oh, the house is just redolent of wonder. <laughs> it is the most beautiful thing. And yeah, and the coffee is so good. And he found it at, uh, we were at the Goodwill. And we were just looking around because you can sometimes find Pyrex there. And we like Pyrex. And, you know, I mean, this old, <laughs> you're laughing, but I yes. I up in that house. I know why you like pirates. Yes, yes. And, and we don't even have you little boogers around no. anymore. No, but, old boogers, mostly me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but no, it's not just that. It is this beautiful space age technology. It mm-hmm. was glass made for astronauts that got moved over into the public sector. And it is, it is just this, and it was American-made, and it was this innovation at a time when we had great businesses and, these, and just this innovation and creativity in technical products. And we love that stuff. So we, we have a bunch of these old-used glasses that were at Goodwill, and he found that, and he came trotting over to me with this huge grin on his face because his grandmother had one and my grandmother had one, and they were exactly like it. <laughs> it, it was the same Aww. fucking it was, And it's this reach back into this past to when everybody lo- we loved was still alive. And it was this moment, and... And it went into that book. And see, this is what we're talking about, where ideas come from literally anywhere. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. Like, even if you're stuck, even... And I want to say this because I've I've got a few friends right now that are trying to write. And they, they're getting that kind of, like, stilted feeling um, when trying to right mm-hmm. whether it's um they don't know enough about the characters they don't know enough about the story or they just can't get it out right get it down wrong yes. make that your goal make that your goal remember you cannot break anything mm-hmm. you you cannot break anything as long as you're trying and as long as you're writing everything right. is fixable yeah then, and all first draft is shit there's there's <laughs> there's plenty of crazy glue and duct tape and and yeah. needle and thread. The, the, if you have an idea for something and you don't write it down and you don't pursue it in some fashion, you're telling the muse that it's not worth its its idea, that the idea isn't worth the time, that it isn't worth the time, whether you're meaning to or not. So. Get it down wrong. Just have that as your your goal because the more you don't write down these ideas from the muse, the more the muse is going to get quieter and quieter and quieter and go away. Yeah. Now and- that does not mean, just a, a little caveat there, that doesn't mean chase every idea all the time. Because no, but you can write every idea down. 
Yes. You know, just a line someplace. Keep yeah. it in a journal, one line, and then let it go and then go back to the thing you're working on. Yeah, yeah. Don't, you don't yeah. you don't want to go chasing every single tiny, bright, shiny thing because Mm-mm. God knows we've both been there. And oh, yeah. that's why I've mentioned my, my idea book tons of times. And mm-hmm. apparently I, I just saw a new a new um, member comment in there like saying thank you for the idea book and that's how I started doing that and it's like god where did I get that idea from because it's you know everybody everybody has their own way of tracking ideas and and Mm -hmm. I know I probably stole that from somebody too who knows maybe it's just maybe it's just something that that you do is you just keep writing down ideas on scraps of paper and and different notebooks and then realize wait a minute this is not conducive to being able to find everything later. Right. So it's better to keep everything in one notebook rather than having to go through with a pair of scissors and <laughs> glue, and, and which I have done. But um, just just make make it your goal. Get it down wrong. And then start fixing it. That's, yeah. that's all I got to say. Even if it's just writing down the idea itself and then jotting down a couple of notes. Well, I don't like this part. Maybe this can change. And then just... Let it, let it go there and, and remember to thank your muse. It sounds stupid because you are thanking another part of your brain. But if you can get an idea because your husband brings up a, a coffee percolator. Mm-hmm. It, that fixes you're a on character. The right, yeah. 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 It, you, you know that you're on the right track. If you're getting ideas from walking to your mailbox, if you're getting ideas from going grocery shopping and, and seeing a person just do one movement you know you're definitely on the right track and your your muse is is active for the eurekas that i have gotten during my latest revision um i'm gonna i'm gonna pull out this one that i think i've mentioned but i don't know because everything has been so sporadic lately um we've had to cut some of the what have you been doing this week because they were so out of order and so old uh so i'm just gonna say the biggest uh eurekas that I had one of them had to do with trusting other people enough to read what I had written and give me their honest feedback and allowing that grieving process <laughs> like because <laughs> yeah. I knew I was gonna have some reactions to what I've written and it's not even like well I wrote it so it's good it was more along the lines of I tried my hardest and I had a point to everything I was writing and it didn't come across right. And it's so frustrating because you can feel lost. So I'm just going to say like, um, my main character, I was trying to basically show how not special she was in a very special world. Not saying that she wasn't unique, not saying that she wasn't a good person, um, an individual, all this stuff, but she does not have magical abilities. She doesn't have, you know, uh, supernatural or preternatural abilities, nothing like that. She is just a person and a very, uh, like a person who has a lot of issues and a lot of, uh, physical problems, mental problems, not, maybe not a lot of mental problems, but some mental problems that go along with, you know, her past. But she, the point was that she is, is very kind of downtrodden by life, but she's a fighter and she can make the world a, a better place by just being in it. And she can make the world better for other people and she can solve problems. And, and I was just trying to show that this person with no special abilities, 
in a world of magic can still make a, a difference in a positive way. But I was making her about her problems. The feedback I was getting from Mom and Matt was they love these other characters. They, they, even the ones that you were meant to intensely dislike, there is still these moments where they have these redeeming moments or they have their, their, this is why I'm like that moments. And all of the characters spoke to Mom and Matt except for the main character. And I was really struggling with why until I realized, like, I had spent so much time trying to show everybody how strong she was by showing everybody all of her problems instead of just writing her as the person I knew. I had lost so many opportunities to show how cool Fulton Hills was and how how utterly obsessed she was with this world, with her world, and and how how cool of a person she was because I was so busy trying to show people how much she had to struggle through. And considering this is a series fiction, I have plenty of time mm -hmm. to 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 develop different storylines. I don't have to get everything all in one in one book. And I think part of the biggest part of the Eureka was letting go of my need as a writer to let the first and and you know the the first iteration of her be the the one that everybody sees because I was so so stuck on certain things but I was missing my own point yeah and that yeah. was that was a really big eureka was realizing that the I, I i have often had a problem with my main characters like this like my side characters are always so much better than my main characters but i think that this is one of the things that have helped me solve that and walk you know a little bit taller and and be able to approach my main characters in a better way i mean when even peter who is basically a very quiet, very minimalist dude, very, very little dialogue, very little action. He's not in it as much when even he gets a better review than the main character. <laughs> I definitely have a problem. So you did, but I've got to say from having the, the, just a little bit that I've gotten to read of the new version, you fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, this, the opener, the new opener. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, uh, it's it's Charlie being Charlie. It's not Charlie being stuck in yeah. reaction mode to everything that's going on in her life. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. is, and that's that has <laughs> that is all the difference right there. Yeah, I can't wait for people to to read this, and I am working on it. I am my my goal for this is to have the book to the bug hunters by at least mid August. At, at the very, very latest mid-August, I'm hoping a little bit earlier, hoping that I can get it back before September and then have the publication date sometime in September, late mm -hmm. September. And th that actually kind of works out because October, you know, my favorite month. And it's also the month of the... the, the um, all the fictions. Yeah, the podcast, fiction that we get that from you stuff. guys. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let me just mention now, um, if you haven't thought about it, start thinking about submitting this year. Mm -hmm. Submissions are not open, 
but start writing some stories and and, and this is getting, flash fiction yeah 500 yeah. words not a word more <laughs> we have literally rejected people for having 501 and then they came back you know oh okay i fixed it here it is but right yeah we're not dicks about it yeah we're but... not but literally if everybody ah oh, it's just 510 ah oh, it's just 520 ah oh, it's just mm -hmm. 501 no no guys it's 500 we're, we're trying to be actual publishers about this so yeah um i'll put the link in the show notes to the to the in information for the last two episodes they were the last this is an annual thing we do and uh you know, aim to submit something. Doesn't have to be spooky. I'm not going to get into it right now, but we will start accepting um, stuff in September. So yeah. it's coming up. Uh, yeah. So that was that was the biggest <laughs> for for my revision process, and and hopefully it will be out for an October launch, which would be nice because you know spooky stuff and it's a haunted haunted house book and and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. So let's get on to the next question. Okay, so we got a question. It says for Holly, but if Rebecca has any input, that'd be great too. I don't have any input, so this is definitely a Holly question. <laughs> now that I'm sitting here staring it right in the face, how do you do an editor's revision? There's a few fixes that are small and are obvious, but what about the bigger, more complicated ones that will aff affect multiple scenes? Uh, just going to say, as far as my input, uh, go take how to revise your novel, but if you can't... <laughs> Yeah, so go ahead, Mom. Go for that. Yeah. This um, it depends on the editor. It depends on the kind of feedback you got. If if you didn't get something that told you that, that everything you wrote was shit, if you got positive comments, um, not all editors are equal. Not all edits are equal. And if you don't have constructive criticism... You can't do anything with an editor's revision. So the first thing we have to do here is define constructive criticism. The person has gone through your edit. They have found the things that they have liked, and they have said, this is good, this is solid, keep this as it is. They have looked at problems, and they have clearly defined the problems, saying, um, this is a problem because this character is acting out of character or you have failed to um, make me like this character, or you have failed to make me hate this character, or um, this is, and, and here's why. The, the, this specific thing that you did or didn't do is the problem that I had with the character. If you have these kinds of objective criticism where you have someone who is telling you not just what the problem is, but where, where you went wrong and how it can be fixed and why, okay? This is important. It's what the problem is, why it was wrong, how it can be fixed, and why it needs to be fixed. Those four elements, if they have covered those, then you can follow their advice and fix the thing. If it doesn't have that kind of feedback, there's nothing you can do with it. There are people who will edit by saying, well, I just hate this kind of book. Okay, that's not an edit. There are people who say, well, you know, this is all wrong, this character. I don't like this character because I don't like strong females. I don't like weak females. I don't like gay characters. I don't like... Um, straight characters. I don't like whatever it is that you wrote. They don't like that. Well, 
You, um, you also had fuck one. them and find another editor. Yeah. You also had one that was like fighting with you over grammar. Yes. Like the grammar Nazi from hell you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know grammar. And I'm good at grammar. Yeah, but and it was just, she didn't like your style. She didn't like my style of grammar. Yeah. So I didn't use her anymore. Because this is something, I've been doing this for a hell of a long time, and I'm good at it. And grammar is one of the things I know. And yes, I do use contractions. And yes, I do um, use casual speech when I'm doing dialogue. And I will occasionally, when I am writing a first-person character, use casual speech in her thought processes because she is thinking like a human being, not like a goddamn grammar book. Yeah, she also had a problem with your commas. Like, you said that she had, like, all of these commas that, that she was trying to add she or, did not, or something like that. Yeah, she did not like the Oxford comma. That's and it. Okay. unfortunately, the Oxford comma has a use. It has meaning. It allows you to define clearly a sequence and not to have two items lumped into as, as one thing together when you specifically need them to be two separate items. And I know this. And um, she just had a hard-on for the Oxford comma. No. and Well, in a bad way. In a bad way. She just hated it. Yeah. She just, no, no, no. Oxford comma is always wrong. And no, it isn't. <laughs> Um, so, so let me ask you, like, as a, uh, this was when you were traditionally published. Mm-hmm. This was the editor you were given by the publication company. By, by. Mm-hmm. So how do you handle this? <laughs> how, what do you do? Because this is not a hill you want to die on. And no, I, I specifically remember you telling me as much as you hated having to deal with this, this uh, particular editor, this wasn't something that you were going to go to war over. Right. So how did you handle it so that other people know how? For the most part, I made the changes or let them stand. I did hold my ground on the Oxford comma explaining why. And because I explained why and was able to demonstrate that it did change the meaning if that comma was not in there. And uh, I, I I won the ground on that and I let it go. And I didn't have that editor again. Can you request not to have that editor again for the next no. book or what? No. I just I just ended up with a different publisher <laughs> after that. Uh, uh, that was, yeah. yeah. It, it could have it could work in your favor, though, that if you are a traditionally published author and you get one that you don't like and they don't like you, then maybe they, they will request not to do your book next time. Oh, well, there is that. You can be a big pain in the ass and, and win the day but, but lose the war, too. Um, But, okay, now the other thing that if if we're talking traditional publishing, the other book was one where the editor deleted one of my two main characters, the um, romantic, the the love interest. In Hawksbar. Yeah, in Hawksbar. She removed him from the book until the second half of the book, and that one I did go to war over. That was the only book for which I was an absolute raging lunatic bitch. And called my my uh, agent because if you're going to be, a- I don't like that term. Okay, that you're not being a bitch if it's fighting for your stuff. We need to stop this. This society needs to stop using bitch like that. Bitch is just a nasty bitch. <laughs> I think, okay? now I'm willing to say, hey, I was a bitch. I, I'll no. own it. I will own it, and I don't care. There, <laughs> I am. I am ju- usually a very genial person. Person. Um, if you're not, but, you know, 
relating yeah, to I, you. I, the word doesn't bother me. A lot of words don't bother me, and bitch doesn't bother me. No, it's just, I, <clears throat> I think that that word, a lot of people think, you know, if they're going to use it, they're going to call somebody a bitch. They're just being a, a nasty person. Well, and to me, if you're fighting for what you're, fighting for your right to have this work that you did survive <laughs> that that's not being a bitch that's being a writer that is being a hero to your work that okay. is being a freaking human being who's standing up for for you know <laughs> good. well i might have been i might have been but i was on the phone yelling at my agent <laughs> good so um and i was uh explaining in four letter words uh, what exactly my editor had done to that book, and I was uh, then writing in in wildly profane terms, emails back and forth to her, explaining how no that book I would tell my readers to not buy the book if it went to press that way, and um, that apparently got somebody's attention. Yeah, she didn't just take it out and send it back to you to for as approval. She took it out behind your back and sent it mm-hmm. up as as if this book was ready to be published. As if it was done. She sent it. Yeah, she didn't. I didn't even see it until the copy editor saw it and said, "Well, the book is missing an important character until the second half." And I got a copy of that and read it and went, "Oh no, no, no!" Uh, so no, she was the the editor of this was really sneaky and really underhanded. Um, and so I was, okay, so I was, I was a bitchy commando with a, a big knife and a loud voice. Okay. No, but that's no. fine. It's your term. <laughs> you go with it. You go with it. I just, I, I just don't, I don't see you as, as being in the wrong in any way, shape or form in that, in that moment. Oh, I wasn't. And, exactly. And to me, <laughs> being a bitch is, is, you know, be, having unnecessary anger or antagonism and none of that was none of that was at all any of it I don't care because again I've had these issues with quote authority and if somebody you know (laughs) did that I I have a feeling that um I wouldn't be publishable in any market other than indie after that because I I I think that you had a better grasp on your temper at that time than I possibly would have. Because <laughs> well, you had kids. Well, that was the hill. Well, yeah, A, I had kids. B, we had bills to pay. And um, C, we weren't going to be able to pay them if that book didn't get published. But it, that was, in fact, the hill I was willing to die on. Yeah. And um, there, there has to be a point where you know that, no, this edit cannot stand as written. And I will destroy my own work and tell my 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 fans and readers not to buy the book rather than have them read it with what she did to it. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to working with editors, I, I'm assuming that you really, you, you got to know when to suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Suck it up buttercup and, and yeah, maybe. And maybe. if you're paying the editor... You never have to suck it up, Buttercup. That's no, but the editor, I yeah. think the idea. I I don't know because they didn't specify whether this was right. indie or traditional, and a lot That's of our listeners, both. yeah, yeah, what well, yeah. a lot of our listeners are still aiming for that traditional publication. Right. So I just wanted to make sure that that they understood there's a big difference between the two. If you are 
paying somebody and they're telling you, well, I just don't like this kind of character or I don't really like your style. It's, it's too flowery or, or whatever. That's, that's, you know, you actually, can't, yeah. yeah, you probably can't ask for a refund because they did edit the book. Yeah, they did the but work. You do, just ignore what they said and go find an editor who likes what you do. Yeah. And it likes your genre and your style and try and yeah. very hard to kind of make sure that you're paying if you're paying for somebody try very hard to make sure that they read your genre that they um have references mm -hmm. because maybe that they will do a free like five page sample just to a give lot you of, an idea of yeah. what you're looking at. yeah but, or 10 page i know i know there are people who will do a five yeah. page or 10 page sample so that you can see the kind of feedback you're going to get and can determine from that whether this will help you. Yeah. I know some people will say um, they'll do a up to 2,500 word story or, or something mm -hmm. like that for free so that you can know what. Now, I, I don't suggest that because, I mean, you're basically getting a free edit and that's kind of, you know, I don't know. That's it's questionable because you can then put that story out. But uh, well, I don't know. I think they go into it knowing that if they're good enough, that, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I'm sure they do get taken. The people who do this, yeah. I'm sure they do get taken somewhat. Yeah. And I think that sucks and, and talks, speaks but that's to everybody. the character of the, the writer, not yeah. to the character of the editor. No, yeah. Yeah. But everybody gets taken in by somebody at once and once or twice in Unfortunately, their life, if not more. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's, you know, if, just do your due diligence. If there's any other questions you have on the editor topic, uh, be more specific. Put them in the questions uh, thread in our podcast forum, and we'll have Holly go over it. Yes. Okay, so the last one was supposed to be, it was in the both of us section, but, you know, I didn't have, I haven't dealt really with editors other than you and Matt, so <laughs> but we're going to go to another Holly one. Um, Holly, how did it feel when you held a published book that you had written in your hands for the first time? <laughs> oh my god okay well I was traditionally published first and how that works is your publisher sends you a box and the box has 20 copies finished 20 finished real copies of your book in the box and you open it like it's the Ark of the Covenant with reverence and a, a very, very careful exacto knife and hold your breath and you peel it open and inside you see these books in there stacked. And they were, I think, three stacks of, you know, what, what, three, six stacks of however many books. And they might have added a couple of them in there just to, you know, to, to fill it out. And it was Fire in the Mist, this beautiful, beautiful cover. Um, and this and I pulled one out and I smelled it because you always smell a new book when you get it and you always smell an old book when you open it because it's a different smell and there's and I then I riffled through the pages gently not cracking the spine and I looked at the words and then I took every single book and I spread it out on the floor in front of me and put them in rows so that it made this square and I just stood there and looked down at them because that was my book and it was, it was this beautiful moment because it made it all real. And they were, the books were at that time starting to head into bookstores. And um, 
I drove up to Fayetteville not long after that, and they had a face-out of the book in the bookstore. And there were a bunch of guys who were from Fort Bragg who had read it. And I did a signing there, uh, you know, uh, like a month later. And there were a bunch of guys from Fort Bragg, and there were a few people who were um, just locals, but, you know, mostly soldiers. And it was a great cover, and uh, my husband then was the bookseller there, and he was pushing it really hard, and a lot of people bought it. And uh, I went and did a signing, and people were lining up, and I had this line. And it was It was just beautiful and I talked to people and they had read it and they liked it and it was it was like magic (laughs) yeah it really was it was it was a wonderful wonderful moment explain for for people what the face out means okay it means that you have um all of a a set of books maybe maybe five maybe ten in my case I think it was like 20 or 25 uh, because my then husband had ordered heavily. Uh, I think it was five books deep and five books wide, so that you had this cover that really popped, great cover, and a big chunk of it. And they sold, man. They sold like hotcakes. It was it was just, that's, so that was, was a face-up. Yeah, you could say it was partially your, uh, your husband ordering that many books, but at the same time, it it sold heavily everywhere. It did. So, yeah, it wasn't just it that wasn't one just that. I, and it was entirely the cover, yeah. because I was a first time author. My name was small on the bottom. I was an absolute nobody. Well, but the name that, was good too. Yeah. Well, Fire yeah. In Fire the in the Mist was a good name for a book, and mm-hmm. the the lettering on it was it it matched the style of the painting, yeah. um, and it was it was just a very pretty book, and a beautifully done presentation and then when people read it it was good so that helped um that really helped (laughs) but yeah the the holding the book in the hands for the first time if if you are an indie writer um you might not get that same experience but at the same time always order one at least one physical copy of your own book and put it on a shelf and mom calls it a brag shelf i do um I, liked... I do. It's this. It's this proof to yourself. It is. It is your own personal demonstration of your success in creating what you went out to create. Yeah. 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 Well, there's other jobs out there that you you get little tokens from. I mean, even call centers give you little pins and and you know like certificates and cookies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, Tony. Um, has through the fire department gotten stuff, you know, and, and from his EMS, he, uh, not EMS, he, right now he works at a mental health care facility and somebody was drowning. Somebody had drowned and he brought them back to life until the EMTs came and they took him and he lived and, and made it to critical care and then made it out of ICU. And he got a, uh, certificate and a little pin that is, that says, um, uh, something like heart heart starter or cardio saver or something like that because he did that yeah there are things that people get at all manners of jobs that show this kind of appreciation from from management of a job well done well you're an you're a single employee in a single employee business and you are both the manager and the employee show yourself a little appreciation 
get that physical copy of your book and put it up on a shelf where you can see it when you're writing to show like I have done this look this is my appreciation of myself we don't appreciate ourselves enough that's that's one of the most frustrating things the way we talk to ourselves the way we let ourselves shit on ourselves like we would never unless we're really shitty people we would never talk to a loved one or a friend the way that we talk about and to ourselves and that is a big problem you know you, you've been shitting on yourself for how many years try try approving of yourself try supporting <laughs> yourself because obviously shitting on yourself hasn't worked so let's try the opposite let's let's try to <laughs> to to encourage yourself and put something up to show like hey i have done this yes yes exactly um i will note that i routinely refer to myself as a dumbass when i'm working on things yeah her, her she used to call herself a ditz uh and spacey and stuff but i and never use spacey Never use what? <laughs> spacey. Yeah, you but, have. Yeah, you have. I, Dits and mm, spacey. Yep. Spacey, really? Yep. Okay, well, I dumbass is my current phrase. Yes. <laughs> dumbass has been your phrase for a while. But and, and, you know, we all do stuff like that. We all say that stuff. But when it comes down to it, like, if you're being really, really hard on yourself, that hasn't worked, obviously, because you're right. still being hard on yourself. So start right. appreciating the things you do. I can't tell you how much of a difference it makes to, and if if you if you have a hard time doing it, then start off just treating Muse as a different person, mm -hmm. treating that Muse as as something golden, as something to listen to every time. Yes, my Muse is never a dumbass. Yeah, exactly. See, that's <laughs> that's the thing. So if you yeah. if you need practice. You don't have to talk about this to other people. Again, the podcast <laughs> it is recommended. Yes, yes. the podcast is called don't. Alone in a Room with Invisible People. <laughs> We're talking about stuff that people who are not writers, people who are not creators, wouldn't necessarily understand. But within your own self and when you're alone, refer to your muse as a different person, as a, as a different entity, a different part of you, and, and treat it with reverence <laughs> yes respect yeah a certain amount of gentle um kid gloves encouragement and yes and and <laughs> because the muse has the power to shut you down and go to sleep and never listen to your ass again yeah <laughs> okay so let's find the next question it's my editor that i call a dumbass <laughs> The editor's a dick. The editor's always a dick. It deserves that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it wants to mess around with the really good stuff. All right. So this one, this one is, um, I don't, okay. It says, I've been binge listening to the show, trying to catch up. Now, these are older questions, so I'm sure the episode she's on is wrong. Holly is talking to a chatty cat at the end of the show. <laughs> Um, my husband would like to know what breed your cat is, and I would like to know his name. All right. Uh, Sheldon is a mutt. We got him for $127 from a dog store. It was specifically a dog store. And he was this poor little blonde spotted guy. Um, and he, he, his voice suggested he might have some Siamese in him. Uh, and he is chatty. He is chatty as hell. Um, he is 
upstairs lurking and being the, the, the cat at the top of the stairs right now, so he's not talking to me. But uh, other than that, um, what was the other part of it? What kind of cat You've is he? You've already answered and, it. His okay. name. His name yeah. is Sheldon, and yes, they named him after Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Yes, Big Bang Theory. Yes, Theory, because, uh, yeah, because we Sheldon was our favorite character, and and he's a really damn smart cat. I just can't get into that show. I don't. It, it, I liked the first two seasons, and then it fell apart. Yeah, I just I, I don't. Know. I love I, Young Sheldon. I have not seen it. I because I I get, I just get these icky vibes from the dudes in the, the like I've tried a couple episodes, but mm-hmm. it's so sexist, and I get that that's part of the point, but I can't get over that. I you know? have, yeah, I, I have no problems with that, and I love nerds. So. I love nerds, I love geeks, <laughs> I love dorks, I love all of that stuff, but maybe it's yeah. just the episodes I've seen that have bothered me, but I'm just so tired of there not, not being, like, I don't know, I just, there are so many smart women, and I'm not saying it should be all women, I'm not even saying it shouldn't be just all guys, it's just like, dude, can one of them not be a complete pig? Like, that's all I want! <laughs> maybe maybe I, I've just seen the wrong episodes. Maybe it's just it. I think of it as a really great picture of nerd culture, and having always considered myself a nerd, I am not offended that they started out with guys because nerd culture started out with guys. I don't um, think that did. I think nerd nerd culture was just popularized more or less with with guys because it's the same thing. It's like the Barbies, right? Like, oh, you have a girl, so you have to give her Barbies. I didn't like Barbies as much as I liked Teenage Mutant Ninja Beheading Turtles. Beheading Barbies. No, I liked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Legos, <laughs> you know, but I still got Barbies. It's like, why? Oh, because I'm a girl. So nerd culture only got, you know, promoted and pushed because that's, you know, guys were given the comic books. Now, I had a different experience because you gave me Venom. You gave me um, Excalibur. Mm-hmm. So I got to have that nerdy experience. But for the most part, it's, you know, girls get the Barbies, boys get mm-hmm. the, the, the army dolls. <laughs> but I have seen way more cars with princess on the license plate than I have seen cars with some sort of a female thing with a computer. So I still think there are more male nerds than female nerds. This, I yeah, might I, be wrong. Yeah, I strongly but... disagree. Um, because <laughs> when you're seeing all those zombies eating your family, when you're seeing the Death Star and the, the face of the, the, um, stormtrooper, you automatically assume male. That's just how people are. And that's not necessarily true. That could be a girl in there. Could be. So, <laughs> but well, yeah. Yeah. But this was, this is completely off topic but it is yeah <laughs> it is yeah, we do so ramble a little bit so let's sheldon. get on to the that's yeah. sheldon and um <laughs> i see nobody's interested in my cats that's fine i'll just uh brush that off <laughs> we'll just ignore that you guys, you know, since my, my cats are the ones that give you 90 percent of the enjoyable listening time but no that's fine that's fine you know <laughs> I, I won't even tell them that nobody gives them any love <laughs> um Harumph. Yes. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> so the last question for today is, do you have any superstitions when it comes to writing? 
such as lucky pens or such. This is for both of us. Before you answer, I just want to remind you about the one you did have. Okay, superstitions. I would have said uh, that I had none. But uh, the first time we recorded this, uh, before well, the it first got time eaten by you the... recorded it, you said you had none. I did say I yes. had none. Uh, and then as we were talking, uh, I realized that I had a thesaurus that I bought before I wrote the first novel, the one that was never published, uh, Hearts and Stitches. It was a nurse romance, and it sucked. But I bought a thesaurus because I, you know, and it was a Roger's thesaurus, red cover, paperback, and um, I kept it with me and the first book didn't sell and but I kept it with me and I used it when I was writing uh, Fire in the Mist and I used it when I was writing a number oh god uh, a bunch 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 of really bad short fiction that I was sending out and it was getting rejected and then I was better stuff and it was getting rejected with comments and then even better stuff that was getting with rejected with comments and requests like but you know this is close send us something else yeah followed by those two sonnets that sold followed by sending out fire in the mist to a publisher and getting selling it, hearing back from the publisher with an offer to buy it one month to the day after I sent it out. Your ideal publisher. My ideal publisher, Bain. The one I wanted. I mm -hmm. sent it to them first one month from sending the book out to them reading it to them calling uh, me personally and me going, ha, and, and this was in the 90s. This so was in the 90s. There was and no there were email kind no. of, you know, uh, no. email your publish your book to us, nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, that shit did not exist. This was a mailed copy. And there, and Josepha Sherman read it. Josepha Sherman put it in front of Tony Weisskopf. Tony Weisskopf read it. She put it in front of Jim Bain. Jim Bain read it, fell in love with it. When my main character was doing this little jig while taking the sheep out of town, the singing very first the little thing. song. The yeah. very first scene. Yeah. <laughs> Fell in love with it, knew he wanted it then, read it all the way to the end, and they called me. One damn month. This never happens. Never. Yeah. And that thesaurus was the thing that was on my desk, and it was sitting there, and I had used it, and... I got that call, and there was some little click in the back of my mind, and I hung on to that thing until we got here. But, well, I didn't keep it on my desk, though. I think I probably still have it down in the basement. Yeah. But I, it stopped being a talisman. Oh, yeah. I think about the time that I quit commercial publishing. Yeah, I can understand uh, that. Because at that point, there was no longer any magic in commercial publishing. I had been ground into the dust, and it just had a little place on my shelf in the office. It was still there, and I, I, I'm not sure we packed it this time. Yeah. I genuinely don't know whether it's one of the books that I have down in the basement or whether I actually just threw it in the trash before we moved. Well, she also gave away a lot of books. But she oh, is, yeah. We, she, 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 
<laughs> there is a habit of theirs of throwing books in the trash, and that just that just drives we, me crazy. It's we like, set no. them all out. We set them all out. We were well. We no, were when you moved from a... here, when you yeah, guys oh, moved yeah. from here, well, you dumped we the whole bunch. Them. Yeah, we couldn't. We couldn't afford to take them. Yeah, but um, because we could only get, we could only afford a small moving van. And we could have taken books or we could have taken everything else that we owned. Or yeah. some of everything else. Yeah. We threw away most of everything we owned. Too. And they're not very social people, so they had no idea that there was a very small library yeah. that would have would have just... Probably Joe would have just... Not your son, but the other Joe. Would have just fell to his knees at the amazing amount of books that were there. But Yeah, well, we it was, it was a lot. It was yeah. really a lot. It was... Um, but Long it's also about time, too, because, I mean, yeah. you're, you're talking about a very fast move and you don't have time to say, listen, there's all these free books. And this was also, what, 15 years ago, something like that? Yep. There was no social media like now. There was nothing. Yeah, there was no <laughs> way to other than just to throw them out in the street. Yeah. <laughs> to go down and this to, time. To, yeah. yeah. This time when we moved, we, we made nice little display boxes. We set them out next to the dumpster and we go out every morning. And almost all of them would be gone the next day. Yeah. And that was the difference between living in a highly, highly commercial area versus mm -hmm. a, you know, very rural, especially at the time, this, this place was even more rural than how I'm living in it with a bunch of neighbors on the sides. You had right. two neighbors. Right. We basically. were out way, way out in the sticks yeah. and there was nobody but us. But yeah, th that's, that's, um, this highly commercial <laughs> move Kiki. Yeah, I know. You can't sit there and shake the desk and drop the computer. <laughs> right now, I'm still paying it. <laughs> the superstitions, I used to have a ton. And literally did not touch her. She just walked across the desk. <laughs> just angry. Foul, foul catty Yeah, movement. she knows that nobody wanted to know her name. That's why. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to have a ton of superstitions. I used to cling to them. I used to cling to like little signs and I would wear certain clothes. I would use certain pens. I would use certain notebooks. I would write at a certain time. I would, um, it, and there's a certain magic that goes along with that, right? Like it's magical thinking. It's creating it is, this. Yeah, that's exactly this, what it is. Yeah. It's, it's creating yeah. this own little vibe and this, this feeling and this, this, uh, mood for your muse and 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 that's okay if you have them that's great go for it um sometimes you need to step away from that because you find you can't create that magical mood every time so then you can't write when you start to get that that's when you realize you can either let the magical thinking control you or you can control your ability to put out work um then it comes to the process for you. Do you enjoy only writing when you, when the mood strikes you and when you feel this magical, um, environment and that's fine because not everybody wants to be a writer for a living. Not everybody wants to create this as a job. Not everybody wants to lose that magic and make it a science. So yeah, some if, people just want this to be a good escape. Yeah. And if that's what you want, I respect the hell out of that. That's fine. Oh, yeah. Do whatever you can to keep your lucky talismans to, to um, if you're a knitter or crocheter, maybe you can knit or crochet something to wear every time because I used to, I used to wear uh, certain things like um, arm, 
like the gauntlets, not gauntlets, but they're like wrist warmers, but they're, they're the arm covers, the fingerless gloves. I used to wear like um, a hoodie and I would have this magical feeling when I was writing. Mostly it was mostly fan fiction or um, my zombie screenplay stuff. <laughs> but when I got down to it and I found that I couldn't have that magical experience every time, I had to figure out which was more important, the experience or the writing. The writing was more important to me. And I'm not saying you can't have both. But if you refuse to write when the mood isn't there, then the experience is more important to you. Mm -hmm. And that is 100% perfectly fine. There, There is no judgment on this end at all. That is just the way some people are. And you don't want to ruin what is magic for you so don't don't do it exactly it's just a whole lot harder to make a living if you are experience driven rather than uh product product driven product driven yeah yeah and and so i would go through these these places where my talismans weren't working anymore so uh, at first i created new ones which was fine But Mm -hmm. then I realized, like, this is stuff that's holding me back. And little by little, I realized, like, okay, just sit down and start writing. And I didn't use the 10-minute timer until the last, what, five years? Four Mm -hmm. years, something like that. But I would write all the time. I would, if I had time to sit down and write, and my muse came up with an idea, I would just jot out the idea. And that's always been my thing is, like, I've never cared if the first jotting down was perfect. I just wanted to get the idea down. That's why mm-hmm. I said earlier in the episode, like, get it down wrong. Because <laughs> nobody but you is going to see it. You, you yeah. can't break anything on your first go-around. It's, it's not going to break the idea. You're just getting something out so that you can figure, okay, well, this part isn't right. Let me rephrase it. Let me find a better word. But... Yeah. And everything is fixable in revision. Yeah. But this yeah. is this is just highly, highly a, a personal thing. It is the writing that is more important to me than the experience because I still get that experience. Ninety percent of the time when I'm when I'm writing, I go into flow. I feel magic. Mm-hmm. I feel just absolutely entrenched in in the character, in the world, and in, in everything that I'm working on, and I can put myself there by writing almost all of the time. Now, sometimes when you're going through, you know, chemical changes and medication and um, high levels of stress and depression, you're not going to be able to escape that way, and sometimes you just need a break. But in 90% of my life, after figuring out that the writing was the, the important thing to me, I can put myself in the zone just by asking the right questions, as Holly says. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. realize that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. I was trying... It, 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 there are always these, what Holly calls candy bar scenes. There are always these parts in a book that you want to get to. So if I'm having a problem, this is probably the closest thing to a talisman that I have. If I'm having a problem figuring out what I need to do in this scene, I just think, okay, well... What's going to get me there? 
what's going to get me to this scene that I really, 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 really want to write? And how can I enjoy the process? And then that's, you know, that's the closest yeah. thing that I have anymore to anything lucky is just the right questions. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, yeah, that's, that's it for me too. Um, I have a process that I follow and the process is I will read a little bit of the work I did the day before without touching it, without changing it, because once it's spent the night, it's cold and it does not get dicked with. So I will read that one thing and then I will roll into the next thing and start writing, picking up where I left off, if I left off in a thing or starting a new scene. It doesn't matter. But and sometimes that first little bit is kind of rocky going. But again, as I keep going with it, as I keep writing, I fall into it mm-hmm. and it works. And there are very few days when this doesn't work. Every once in a while, I'll have a day that's just a stinker. Yeah. I think everybody does. Yeah. Uh, and on those days, I will work at it for an hour. And if I'm just still slinging mud <laughs> and still, you know, cracking, breaking rocks and still just having a miserable time I'll quit and I'll come back at it when I'm fresh the next day yeah an hour in mom's lingo can also be three to four hours don't, well, don't let her fool sometimes you. <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes yeah sometimes I will grind a little longer than I probably should but yeah but that's I mean we, everybody has those things see our, I know a lot of people say that we're so similar but I don't think that because our process is completely different you know what mm-hmm. I mean I, I don't ever read what I've written before I leave that to be cold because and I'd never stop in the middle of the scene I always write, that is, that is the goal is to write the entire scene, print it out, be done. So like that's, that's, and I don't want to read what I've written before. I want to save that. Oh my God, I keep hitting the mic. <laughs> I want to save that for later, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, but I guess, I don't know, maybe I would love to hear about other people's processes. Um, maybe that's something that we can put out there is, is tell us about your process. Give, write yeah. us some stuff. Um, what's your process? Yeah, what's your process? Yeah. And respond in the in the threads if you want. If you're a little bit more private, you can email two pieces. Us. Two yeah, pieces, two pieces. What's your process, and how is it working out for you right now? Yeah, and we can. And I would love to share this stuff. So, um, if you write us, I'm going to assume that we can share it. If you don't want it to share, if you don't want to share it um, with the podcast listeners. You can tell us it's private, but to me, it would be like, what was the point in sharing it with me and Holly? <laughs> you know, because, but I would right. love to share your processes with, um, with our listeners and see how much we relate to the processes, uh, how much we have done and maybe things that we've never thought of because we mm-hmm. learn stuff from you guys too. Yes. And there are so many different kinds of ways of doing things. Maybe your process, uh, will help somebody else just listener one of the listeners just kind of click like oh you know that who knows but uh that has been our episode today because my voice is starting to give out (laughs) so i am just gonna say thank you guys so much for listening we love you guys uh we have probably one more ama before we get into other writing stuff and we're very excited to be back it's it's so nice it really is it um, is i have missed doing this i have missed it so much uh, not just you you and me sitting here and talking but you know knowing that we're getting it out there knowing that we are back and that we're creating some new stuff for you guys to listen to and that we can hope to hear from you yeah uh, because because i i got an email from somebody well i got a, a note from somebody on uh my instagram today 
saying that she had been listening to the podcast and had was really appreciating it and that just matters so much man isn't that the one that wanted to send us mugs yes i want to say yes please send me uh, i have a p.o box (laughs) if it's a coffee mug or something especially if it's a bigger one oh my god that would be amazing i love i have a weird obsession with coffee mugs it's it's really very strange so yeah i know i would love it (laughs) yes me too me too and uh, yeah i i am starting to collect coffee mugs most of them are pyrex but (laughs) (laughs) or corningware yes yes (laughs) same same difference i think but yeah yeah um but yeah so uh our p.o box i will make sure it's listed on the site it's also listed on the instagram page uh the ai oh no the alone with invisible people (laughs) instagram page um but yeah if you guys want to follow us you've got our socials it's uh, alone with invisible people uh dot com is our website on facebook we're alone in a room with invisible people instagram is alone with invisible people and you can go to hollyswritingclasses.com create the free account jump in the forums and let us know your process let us know your questions and we're just happy to be back Holly? And I've got nothing to add to that. You said it all. (laughs) Just uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.